Well, I'm not going to lie, it's a little bit tough when you launch a new podcast about La Liga Santander and it's right before an international break. We don't have a lot of games to actually talk about this week on the show, but uh, there will be plenty to look ahead to in a busy next couple weeks in Spain. Today on the show, we'll preview the Spanish clubs in Europe next week. We'll talk about some Spanish national team and we'll look ahead to this weekend's fixtures. To do all that with me as a regular on the Footy Talks Network, but this is his first time appearing on this show. It's Oliver Platt, who works at DAZN, the company that carries UEFA Champions League, Europa League, and La Liga fixtures via BN Sports in Canada. Uh, so an ideal guest to help us look ahead both domestically and continentally this week on the show. How's it going, Ollie? Good, thank you. How are you? Doing pretty well. Um, a crazy night of soccer. Well, not necessarily crazy, but... Uh, didn't have the best games to watch uh, between Toronto FC and the Canadian women's national team. So uh, let's talk about uh, a bunch of fixtures that will hopefully be a little bit better in in the league over the coming weeks. Uh, Before we dig into all those aforementioned topics, though, uh, La Liga and Footy Talks have our first event coming up on October 28th. We are hosting a viewing party for the El Clasico uh, at the Pint Toronto. Come out and get a complimentary brunch and a, dr- and a drink ticket. Uh, the La Liga trophy will also be there uh, on top of a number of other awesome prizes that are available for you to win. There will also be a Footy Talks panel ahead of the match with myself, Gareth Wheeler of TSN, and Joshua Cloak of The Athletic. You can head over to homestand.com slash events for info uh, but before that uh, match between Barca and Real uh, Barca they, they've got a heck of a week uh, ahead on, on Wednesday um, let's talk about that one first their midweek fixture against Inter Milan uh, in the Champions League uh, of course that's sandwiched in between the aforementioned El Clasico and the clash with Sevilla on the weekend uh, but this one against Inter it's, it's a pretty big match for Barcelona um, you know, these are the two teams that are undefeated in the group and uh, meeting at the Camp Nou as well. It's it's a real chance to kind of uh, take this group by the horns, isn't it? It is, yeah. Inter are going well. You would imagine that Barcelona are probably pretty much in, in prime position to win this group now. Um, it's difficult to see Inter maybe going to Tottenham and, and, and getting a win there as well, which obviously Barcelona have already done. Um but yeah, it, it will be. It's it's always interesting to watch Barcelona at the minute, just because of the way, you know, over a year into the job, Ernesto Valverde is still kind of trying to figure out that right balance um, in his team, and he's gone back a little bit to the four four two that they had success with last season in the league, but didn't really work out in the Champions League, uh, in a bid to kind of tighten up the defensive issues they've had. So we've had. Um, Philippe Coutinho kind of playing closest to, to Suarez and Messi rather than having Guzman Dembele in there as well which Valverde has tried to kind of accommodate this year and it has left them very open defensively so it's it, it still feels a bit like um, Barcelona to a certain extent are a, a kind of a collection of mismatched pieces and uh, every match has, has a bit of intrigue for them at the minute in, in terms of finding that right balance. Yeah it's certainly not helping finding that right balance of course is the fact that they have so many defensive injuries right now. Thomas Vermaelen going down and now out for six weeks after being injured during the international break with uh, Belgium. He, he joined Samuel Umtiti on that uh, injured list, which leaves uh, basically only two centre-backs uh, with Clément Longley and uh, Gerard Piquet, who, um, you know, a veteran player, obviously, but hasn't been having the best season so far. So uh, not ideal for Barcelona going into, as I said, a pretty difficult week for them. 
Yeah, PK's been terrible this to be honest. He's he's struggled badly. Um, you know, there was a goal against, I think it was the Girona game, where just a simple ball into the box on top of the centre-backs, and both of them, I can't, I can't remember who was partnering PK in that game, but both of them just completely failed to deal with a, a routine ball into the box. So, yeah, that, that's a problem area. Um, you know, for all the talk of... Barcelona's issues with the way Valverde has rotated the team. It's been some of the players such as Pique who have actually stayed in the team that have really struggled and, and been uh, a bit problematic this season. Um, so yeah, like I said, they're, they're still trying to find that right balance. I think you know when they play that 4-3-3 and Messi's out on the right, it then leaves a lot of space on the right-hand side which Rakitic has to cover and then that leaves Busquets a bit exposed. So I think going back to the 4-4-2 with the extra midfielder has has just settled things a little bit um, obviously in the Tottenham game and then in the, the draw against Valencia which isn't a terrible result um, but in that Valencia game they had a ton of the ball and didn't create very many chances at all so you know it's kind of marrying the two together that's that's a big challenge for them and it's still really the same challenge you know a year into Valverde's reign that, that they've always faced um, so yeah it'll be interesting to see how he kind of tries to resolve that yeah, and he hasn't. Uh, he's been one to tinker a little bit with uh, putting some fullbacks or, or maybe even uh, Sergio Busquets back into that center back role. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see fully what he does there. Um, especially again with the three games this week, you're gonna you're gonna think that he won't always just have that same center back pairing. Especially as you said with PK and the way he's been playing this season, you you wouldn't want to have him play you know all those minutes in in one week. So it'll be interesting to see there. Moving on uh, on Wednesday as well. Uh, Atletico Madrid, they take on Borussia Dortmund. For me, this is the most interesting fixture for any of the La Liga teams um, in the Champions League next week in Europe in general because these are two teams that are really going well at the minute. Atletico Madrid, after that slow start, they've been excellent. Uh, And Borussia Dortmund are top of the Bundesliga right now and playing some incredible football. They look a lot like the old Borussia Dortmund sides under Klopp. Uh, Paco El Cathar, of course, who is on loan for Barcelona. He's taken 10 shots uh, on target this season, and all 10 of them have gone in. So uh, he scored again for Spain in the international break as well, which we'll talk a bit bit later. Um, but just a fantastic run of form for him and the team's following suit. Again, this game's away for Atletico Madrid, so it's going to be an incredibly difficult game for them, isn't it? It will be, yeah. And like I said, think the rumor is that Dortmund can buy him for around 20 million euros which Mm. will seem like a big bargain if he keeps scoring like he is right now um yeah let's go like they brought in a lot of good players in the summer and they have a really nice looking squad and it's not the first time that it's kind of felt as if Diego Simeone has tried to kind of evolve his team into a more attacking team and a more open team and then they kind of stumble a little bit in the first few games of the season and it's straight back to, you know, Simeone's classic defensive football and it always works, you know, if if, if you can get uh, players of the talent that Atletico have to buy into the brand of football that Simeone really believes in, which is that, you know, very defensive, very organised uh, football that puts... Um, you know, puts a premium on keeping clean sheets above all all else, then you're really going to have a chance of winning every week because you're just so difficult to break down. And then you have got the talent of of Antoine Griezmann and and all the attacking players they have, and and they have got the best group of attacking players they've ever had, I think. So, yeah, but 
it's kind of re- history repeating itself, really, that Atletico seem to look like they're trying to evolve and then they kind of go <laughs> back to, to what they know best. But perhaps with the talent they have, they can do what they know best even better than, than in previous years, which would be really promising for them. Before the season uh, on the Footy Talks podcast, the other podcast on this on this network, um, I remember you saying that, I think you said Atletico Madrid for you were the favorites to win this year's Champions League. You might have said one of the favorites. I can't fully remember, but I know you're really high on them. Um, mm-hmm. How big is this game in terms of, you know, kind of getting an early test? Because there there are some other solid teams. I mean, Monaco in the group as well, um, who, who are at least a decent side. But really, this is their first big test in terms of uh, Europe this season. Yeah, I, I don't think they'd be kind of the the bookmakers favorites by any means but I just think that you know the track record they have in this competition and as I said the talent that they've added this year gives them a real chance and then you know you look at the fact that there's not really another outstanding team in the competition Man City is still you know I think they will figure things out and be a, a very strong contender but right now they are trying to figure things out a bit um, and then obviously Barcelona as we've mentioned and, and Real Madrid will come on to a uh, and not really where they have been at their best in in previous years, and you know, not totally convinced by Bayern Munich. Certainly not convinced by PSG, to be honest with you. Despite all the goals they're scoring, so there's an opportunity there for them. Um, and yeah, as you say, this this is a big test and a uh, a chance to kind of make a statement with the with the form Dortmund are in as well. So Atletico Madrid, they'll be in Germany. In Madrid, Real Madrid will take on Victoria Pilsen on Tuesday. Or uh, yeah, on Tuesday at the Bernabeu. Um, that loss to CSK Moscow, of course, now makes things very, or not very complicated, but it complicates things a little bit for Real Madrid in a way you wouldn't have thought uh, it would be when this group was drawn. Um, this could be a big match for them. Obviously, there's been all kinds of rumors about Julian Lopetegui and uh, his future with the club. They really need to, I, I think, uh, kind of stamp down on Victoria Pilsen and have a big offensive performance at home and uh, kind of you know, restart a, a season that's uh, started off not, not incredibly poorly, but you know, it's certainly not to the standards they would have wanted so far. No, I, I think that you know, the talk about Lopetegui's jog job being in danger is is that would be a ridiculous decision i think to, to get rid of him like it, it has happened before though obviously probably not a manager who was held in in his high regard at the time when he when he lost a job as lipitegui is but one ramos was the last real madrid manager i believe to go five games without a win and, and he lost his job for it so um you know that's real madrid and and that's the the environment you're in there um I, but yeah, I, I, I'm actually a little bit more upbeat about Real Madrid than, than Barcelona. I think a lot of what they're doing is pretty good. I think it's a lot of what they're doing is pretty solid. They're, you know, they've been missing a couple of players who they, they felt the absence of in, some, in the goal-scoring department. But I, I, I just think the big challenge for Lopetegui is going to be that he doesn't really have... Well, obviously, he doesn't have... A, Messi or Ronaldo, which and mm. Barcelona have kept Messi and, and Real Madrid have lost Ronaldo, and they they chose not to replace him um, with an Eden Hazard or, or another big name signing. And you know you've got Gareth Bale, who's definitely, if not in that top group, then just outside of it. But we know he's injury prone, and you know if they were to lose Bale, that would be a real problem because Karim Benzema, mm. you know, for all the talk of him potentially maybe being held back by Ronaldo and kind of being at Ronaldo's service. And maybe we expected him to be 
you know, to kind of flourish without Ronaldo. Um, he's actually turned out to be even worse this season uh, <laughs> since Ronaldo's gone. So he's he, his form has been a real issue. Um, Marco Asensio, tons of talent, but not really stepping up as a starter in, in, into kind of a top player yet. He's been more effective off the bench. Uh, and obviously Isco out injured now as well. So the issue that Real Madrid will have all season, I think, is that unless someone like Mariano breaks out, is that they'll do good things in the first two thirds and then it may not, or they may not always cash it in, in in the final third as they invariably did when when Cristiano Ronaldo was in the team. Yeah, certainly. And as you mentioned, the the injuries. I mean, if there's anyone you can really talk about injuries, and I know we talk about Barcelona a little bit and the kind of the more specific injuries they have, but um, Real's been hit with injuries throughout their lineup. So uh, this shouldn't be an overly difficult match for them, but that makes it just a little bit more tricky. The final game in the Champions League next week from Spanish sides uh, is Valencia. They're taking on Young Boys. Um, we'll talk a bit about the form Valencia are in a bit later in the show, but in terms of the Champions League, this is a pretty huge game for them um, up against Young Boys, who, who you'd think would be the the fourth team in this group. Um, you know, if they want to catch Manchester United for that second spot, which I think is doable, I you know obviously United hasn't been excellent this season, and, and they were able to draw against them, so I think it is doable that they could catch United. But you have to win uh, your games against Young Boys, and um, you know some difficult match though for them, of course, because they're going away to that artificial surface uh, the Young Boys plays on at the Stade de Suisse, and um, that's been. You know, that's been criticized, of course, that, uh, you know, playing on the artificial surface, uh, Mourinho certainly hasn't been happy with that uh, surface as well. But it's yeah, it's just not an ideal time for that either, because they're going into, uh, you know, they're really trying to jumpstart the La Liga season and having this away date as well. It's going to be tough for them for sure. It is, yeah, and you know, like you said, that there's a real opportunity for them to to capitalise on what's going on at Manchester United, and obviously getting a point at Old Trafford is a great start. Um, I, I just what I doubt at the minute if they kind of really have the quality to, you know, that they're going to need a, res, a result somewhere against Manchester United or Juventus in, mm-hmm. in terms of beating one of them, and I, I don't really see it at the minute. I, I mean. I, uh, we'll get to it later, as you said, but they've they've stumbled out of the gate in in La Liga. Um, they got a nil nil draw at United, but the, the goals aren't really flowing for them at all. I think it's six no. and eight La Liga games and none in the mm-hmm. Champions League. So I, I just doubt whether they have that bit of quality to to really capitalise on what is a definitely a vulnerable Man United team. Well, let's quickly wrap up by touching on some of the Europa League games, which will all take place next Thursday. Um, perhaps the most interesting from a, from at least a historical uh, side of things is Real Betis uh, away at the San Siro against AC Milan. Um, you know, it's, it's just a chance to take on one of the most storied clubs in Europe, so regardless of the competition. That's pretty excited or exciting. And uh, for Betis, a chance to return to the Europa League, of course, they've they've been back here for the first time since 2013-14 in this competition. So, uh, you know, one of the tough places to go in your first time back in Europe for, for the past couple of years, but um, an exciting match nonetheless for them. Yeah, definitely. It should be a really good match, this, I think. Um, Betis are a really interesting team. Obviously, don't get, maybe get much coverage because they're outside of the, the top group in La Liga, but 
They finished sixth last season. Um, they've got a manager, Kiko Setien, who is really attack-minded. Um, they press like crazy, Betis, um, perhaps more than any other team in the league. And last season, they conceded a ton of goals despite finishing sixth. I think they conceded as many as Malaga, who, who finished last. Um, but this year, they've been really, really solid at the back so far. Um, they haven't scored many goals, but if you look at their expected goals as one example it's it's actually pretty good and and they've underperformed it by some way so if they have figured out the defensive side and they can still you know if the goals eventually come back and and kind of uh regress to the mean there they could be a really good team this year uh and potentially you know it's hard to build on the sixth place finish in La Liga given the <laughs> the caliber of teams above you but but progress from that and and have a little go in Europe as well so that should be a good game um Obviously, as you said, AC Milan, San Siro is a great place to go, and, and they're a good team, so that, that one's worth watching. The only Spanish side outside of the top two right now uh, is Villarreal, who uh, they host Rapid Van uh, at the Estadio de la Ceramica. Um, you know, they they've of course, haven't lost yet in Europe so far this season, but uh, they also or at least in the group stage, but they also haven't won either, uh, picking up a couple of draws. Um, but, of course, this is a big game for them because they could pass Rapid Vienna in the in the standings with a win um, and put pressure on a Rangers side who, have, for me at least, have kind of been a surprise in this group. I would have thought uh, maybe they would have been in tough to get through, but they've been very good so far. Yeah, that 2-2 um, in at Villarreal, really kind of surprised me I wasn't expecting them to get a result there and then obviously they they had another good one at home uh, a couple of weeks back so they're doing really well um, looks like a more competitive group than probably we expected I, I it's not been a great start to the season for Villarreal by any stretch and I think you know the coach is coming under a little bit of pressure there as well um, I, I think there's enough to believe when you look at their results they've been in a lot of one goal games and had a bit of bad luck and I, I think they will come through that group and, and turn it around a little bit over the next few weeks. Um, but obviously when you come out of your first two games without a win, even though they're undefeated, uh, it does put a bit of pressure on you to to get immediate results. And so that's another interesting game. Yeah, for sure. Certainly a big one for Javier Caleja's job, as you said. Uh, the final, Euro, or final Europa League match for La Liga side is Sevilla. Uh, they're at home at the Estadio Ramon Sanchez Piuan against Akisar uh, from uh, Turkey. And Sevilla's kind of been like the Real Madrid of, of Europa League in terms of their dominance in this competition in recent years. But uh, much like Real Madrid, they, they got a favorable draw as well, or so it seemed. But like Real Madrid, uh, they went on the road in Russia and lost a shock 2-1 result to Krasnodar. Um, now they face two important games uh, against Akisar, the Turkish side, to try and um, you know make sure they can get the win in this group and, and move through kind of what we thought was a previously easy group. So, uh, you know, the parallels are very high there between them and Real. Mm-hmm, yeah, for sure, and maybe not the the caliber of opposition isn't the highest in that group. But having to go to Russia and Turkey is is never ideal. Um, no, you know, not just in terms of the games themselves, but then going into the league games at the weekend as well. Um, but they've dealt with it really well. Severe, obviously, top of the table at the minute. So uh, it will be interesting to see there. As you said, they've been Europa League specialists. Um, you know whether 
what they're doing in the league right now if that continues and obviously they have a big game at the weekend we'll talk about whether that kind of starts to affect how much attention they're paying to the Europa League because it is a tricky one to balance those Thursday night games um, with your league games at the weekend especially if you've not got you know a, a, a huge very expensive squad uh, as Sevilla haven't so uh, yeah they've had a great start to the season and uh, moving on um, it was of course the international break so we'll talk a bit about the Spanish national side of course the the side with the most La Liga players involved in it so uh, it just makes sense to, to talk about them during international breaks and uh, a bit of an interesting international break for them of course they had a 4-1 win over Wales in a friendly but in the Nations League falling 3-2 to England in a match that could have seen them go top of the group and get to that final four uh, in, in the Nations League in UEFA a uh, match where they fell down early. England had a great first half, went up 3-0, and then in the second half they didn't quite have enough to get back and, and get on level terms. So now they have to go into Croatia and get a result, which is never an easy thing. I know Croatia uh, haven't done particularly well, and obviously Spain smacked them in their opening game in this Nations League, but uh, that's a difficult fixture for them. So now just a, you know an interesting next little bit for Luis Enrique's team what did you make of of the game against England because certainly um, a big result for England yeah it was a great result for England um, it, it, it's kind of you know the question that I think is becoming difficult to, to answer in international football which is can you play obviously as Luis Enrique will want to play like he did at Barcelona where you know they, they are trying to press and, and be brave and you know, take risks, and we saw not a very typical England performance compared to previous years. But what we saw from England was a team that could had comfort at the back and in their goalkeeper to draw that press out and then spring right behind it. And and the first goal, you know, was a great pass from Jordan Pickford, and and there was just acres of space because Spain had been so aggressive in in pressing that ball. So. I think for now you can probably say that that first half was a blip um, and not you know a, a real sign of, of bad things to come. Obviously they did bounce back well in the second half, um, but yeah, it's it, it's interesting right now it's with the way France won the World Cup, being very very cautious and you know not really taking any risks at all. Um, whether or not a team like Spain or Germany can still do that and and. You know, not be picked off by teams who have kind of learned how to counter it. I think over the past few years, um, that that's something to watch in international football. I think going forwards. Yeah, and of course, it, for me, it will be interesting to see kind of what the future holds under Enrique because he seems to be linked to just about every job in Europe, which would make sense uh, considering his pedigree as a coach, but maybe not the best situation for the Spanish FA right now, especially considering uh, what just happened earlier this year <laughs> in terms of coaching. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how long he sticks around there. Um, what are your thoughts on this Nations League in general? Because now we've been able to see a couple fixtures. And for me, this was the first kind of window where really there was a lot of quality games obviously we talked about the England Spain game but the France Germany game as well was was pretty excellent uh just it's it seems like these games are starting to matter matter a little more and especially I think for me what's going to be really good in these games is is maybe not even that final four that we mentioned earlier in terms of the top teams but the relegation battles I think that'll be so interesting because those are important for FIFA points and uh, qualification as well 
Yeah, definitely. And and I think it might take one cycle for teams to actually, you know, go down a pot or whatever in qualification <laughs> and realize how much that matters. Yeah, somebody's uh, going to end up playing Skyland and just be like, "Wait, what am what's going on here?" <laughs> Yeah, I, I, like I think, like Ireland, for example, are kind of just drifting into relegation without really seeming to care much about it. And I think when that, you know, when they end up being a third seed instead of a second seed, and and they pay the price for that in their qualification group, I think it might dawn on them that, you know, kind of brushing these these games off wasn't the best idea. Mm. Um, but I, I yeah, I, I really like the Nations League. I, I always thought that it was a big improvement on on friendlies. I don't think that was difficult. Um, and to be honest, even though I was kind of a supporter of it, it, it succeeded my expectations. Um, you know, I, I can't say that I'm really looking at the league tables or caring about who's first and, you know, the whole promotion relegation thing. But but the games have been exciting, you know, and, and the games have been taken seriously, you know, regardless of what the outcome actually means. Um, it, it seems to have, you know, persuaded the, the teams to take the game seriously. I think in the top at the top level where you have players who are you know going back to Champions League games and going back to big league games, it's always going to be a battle to get the you know particularly these um, early kind of or sorry late fall early winter international windows. Mm-hmm. I think it's always going to be a battle to get the top players and the top teams to take them really seriously. Um, but so far the games have uh, even at that level have been good, and underneath that I think there's been some really good games and you know. Uh, a format that is really giving kind of the middle and, and lower ranked teams a chance to play good matches and test themselves against similar opposition and, and actually, you know, really um, fight for, for a pretty attractive reward in terms of moving up pots and in qualification and or even getting automatic qualification through through one of the little tournaments at the end of it. So, yeah, I'm... I'm it's got thumbs up from me so far. I think I think it's been a massive improvement on you know what we'd be sitting through otherwise. <laughs> yeah, I've always been thumbs up on this, and uh, just seeing this window, as I said, has only made that thumb held higher. I guess um, <laughs> I don't know if that's a great analogy, but anyway, <laughs> I went with it. Um, speaking of the Nations League on, on the Concacaf side, in terms of Nations League qualifiers, we have one Canadian tidbit to mention on the show, which is that Barcelona B product. Uh, Balu Tabla played for the first time for Canada. Of course, he was deciding between Canada and the Ivory Coast, chose Canada, and has now been captied to the Canadian men's national team after coming on as a substitute during Canada's 5-0 win over Dominica in the CONCACAF Nations League qualifiers. Uh, you know, just another player. We, we kind of talked a little bit about it last week, but um, what does he bring for you to the Canadian men's national team that's maybe a little different because... Uh, John Herdman, the Canadian men's national team coach, has talked a lot about having different weapons, but having a player, um, you know, who's who's coming up in in that incredibly competitive Barcelona system, uh, just brings something different, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely, and I, I think he's you know one on quite a decent list of players, young players who are at top clubs right now. Um, mm. When you look at Busti, Miller, Davies going to Bayern Munich, uh, the defender from Lyon whose name has just escaped me Rogiard um, that's the one yeah so there's quite a good list of, of young players I think I'm forget- forgetting one or two as well um, who are playing at you know a really really high level in terms of youth football um, that will hopefully stand them in good stead even if they don't make it at those clubs to be quality national team players and you know we, we've we mentioned on you know 
just us two talking and on previous podcasts I'm sure about the the lack of kind of defensive options for Canada right mm-hmm. now but I, I think that will improve in time and you know defenders coming through right now will maybe need a couple more years before they're ready to play for, for the national team um, but I think it's generally easier to coach defending and, and that side of the game than it is goal scoring and, and creating chances and the fact that Canada are really stocking up on you know more players than, they, than they're going to be able to fit in the eleven uh, on the attacking side of the ball is, is definitely a good thing you know you want as many um, skilled creative players as you can find and then you figure out how it's going to how it's all going to work later um, just get the talent in and and that's what you know John Herdman has managed to do so far yeah, and an interesting debut for him with Canada. I mean, he, he didn't get goals or assists, but you can just see the talent there. I think he, right after he got introduced, he did a bunch of stepovers and made a Dominique defender fall over, and it was it got a huge roar from the crowd, and there were a couple back heels uh, to chances that Canada got and stuff like that, where he just adds a little bit more flair and technicality that maybe we haven't seen from the Canadian men's national team in the past, so... Uh, we'll, we'll definitely continue to track Baloo Tableau on this podcast as he continues to uh, hopefully do things and hopefully move up, uh, as we said, and become that second ever Canadian men's national team player to play in La Liga. Let's move on to our final segment where we'll just look ahead quickly at some of the upcoming matches in La Liga this weekend. Uh, some pretty exciting ones this weekend, none more so than the table-topping clash between Barcelona and Sevilla, uh, the one and two in Spain right now. Uh, Sevilla, you know, they, they've been pretty solid so far, as you said. Um, meanwhile, Barcelona, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, they're one point separating the two of them, but uh, a difference in perception, certainly in terms of how their seasons have started, uh, just based on, you know, where, where these clubs are usually expect to be. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's going to be a really exciting game, this one, I think. When you look at what Sevilla did to Real Madrid in, in terms of how they exposed them uh, a few weeks ago playing on the counter-attack, I think it's a real dangerous game for Barcelona. Um, you know, I think we're going to have to see again them kind of try and solidify that midfield and you know, bringing in Artur has really helped them there a little bit, I think. Um, but yes, yeah, Sevilla will pose a real threat and... and but, you know, and again, it kind of comes down to perception that Barcelona are expected to go into games and try and take the game by the scruff of the neck and, and control it and attack and take chances and and all of these things. Whereas Sevilla, you know, whenever they play a team like Real Madrid or Barcelona, even though Sevilla are a big club themselves, um, they're allowed to just defend and sit in and, and wait for their opportunities. And, and that is, you know, an easier way to play in these kinds of games. So it's it's always a big challenge for, for Barcelona to go up against the team that has that kind of counter-attacking threat and... Uh, yeah, this is the game of the weekend for sure, and 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 I think I'd be very surprised if there's not some some goals in it. Another match with the team kind of surprisingly near near the top of the table is Elves as they take on Celta Vigo uh, with a big chance to build on their historic victory over Real Madrid. Of course, scoring that late goal the first time since the 1930s, apparently that they'd beaten Real Madrid uh, they sit sixth right now and you know with how close the table is I mean they're only two points off the top and of course we mentioned Sevilla and Barcelona are playing each other so one or both are going to drop points you can see LFS move even further up the table this weekend with a win mm-hmm. yeah I think they were joint top 
last week, or sorry, not last weekend, but before the international break, very briefly, um, before the Sunday games. So yeah, really good period for Alaves right now. They, uh, you know, were had a kind of a glory period in the early 2000s where they made the UEFA Cup final against Liverpool, mm. um, which they lost an extra time. But then they got taken over by an owner that wasn't too good for them, I don't think, and, and kind of dropped down the divisions. And now they're back up. Um, third season in La Liga, if I'm remembering correctly. And yeah, pretty much the best period they've had since you know the early 2000s, as I said. So they're going really well. Obviously, a great win against Real Madrid. Um, and a, a chance to kind of compete for the top half of the table. Yeah, they've only ever top the table three times uh, like in terms of just even being at the top for any amount of time and that was one of those three times uh, mm-hmm. for Alaves so um, big stuff for them right now now a club kind of headed in the other direction in a surprising way as we teased earlier is Valencia uh, they're playing Leganes and they really need a win right now they only have one so far um, and currently sit in 13th uh, mostly due to the fact that they have six draws and only six goals um, only Real Betis has fewer goals right now and that's very surprising when you look at all the talent they brought in this, this offseason. I mean, uh, they brought in Cadogbia, uh, Goncalo Guedes, who, of course, um, you know, isn't quite living up to kind of the hopes of, of Portuguese national team fans, but uh, is a solid uh, prospect in, in world soccer. Uh, Michi Bashuai, of course, on loan from Chelsea. Uh, Kevin Gamero, who's been a proven goal scorer from Atletico Madrid and uh, World Cup hero Denis Cheryshev on loan from Villarreal so uh, you know and of course on top of that they have Rodrigo in there so all kinds of offensive talent but it just hasn't worked for them so far and uh, all of a sudden they find themselves in you know the, towards the the bottom of the mid table yeah as you said it's it's been really surprising that they've struggled to to score goals as much as they have given the players they have um, you know I think it's probably a question of is there something wrong tactically there that's going to hold them back and and as we spoke about hold them back in the Champions League and prevent them from taking that opportunity or is it just kind of you know a matter of time before things click Um, you know to be fair I I think you look at their underlying numbers and and they maybe suggest that they've been a little bit unlucky and um, that results may improve uh, over the coming weeks if if things get back to where they should be there Um, but yeah, they, they certainly have the talent and obviously last year was was a good year for them so not really expected them to come out with, with one win in eight by any means. We started the show off with Barcelona. Let's finish it off by talking about Real Madrid's fixture uh, against the tricky Levant side who've been very good against La Liga Elite in, in recent years. Uh, last year they drew... Um, Real Madrid twice and then of course famously uh, ended Barcelona's bid to go and have a unbeaten season with that ridiculous 5-4 result in the second last game of the season um, so this is a team who's definitely not afraid to mix it with up with the big boys and uh, if you're Real Madrid that's not what you want right now you again we talked about the Champions League fixture it's the same sort of thing here uh, you need to get that offense jump started and um, you know you you want to to stay in the race for for the top of the league because um, it's it's incredibly padded right now, but that only makes it more difficult as a lot of teams um, could push in front of you very quickly. 
Yeah, I I think this might be a good one for for Real Madrid. Um, you know, like you said, Levante have done well against top teams lately. They they had an awful record against Real Madrid before last season. Um, you know, they got regularly thrashed by them. But last year they got two draws, as you said. And I, I the problem Levante have is that they're still terrible defensively. Um, they want probably the well perhaps not the worst team in the Liga but they're certainly up there in terms of how open they are defensively and you know if, if Real Madrid need a game or need an opponent right now it's one that's going to give them a few chances um, and I think Levante will do that so this could be the kind of game that Real Madrid's um, have been looking for to, to kickstart their attack uh, on the other hand Levante do threaten going forwards and so you know they're, they're going to pose a threat to, to Real Madrid as well but certainly a huge mismatch in terms of budget and, and resources and all of these things but um, yeah Real Madrid just have to get out of this atta- attacking funk just incredible how bad or how long this stretch of without uh, scoring is going on given you know for Real Madrid a club of their their size and, and you know the players they have at their disposal yeah apparently you can watch all three Star Wars movies and have a tea between the you know each of the movies, and apparently you still wouldn't see a Real Madrid goal if you watched their past few games back to back. So um, I don't know why that's been used as the the great time <laughs> marker, but I'll take it. Star Wars is great. So um, yeah, and as you said, uh, Levante, of course, uh, they are have conceded the third most goals so far this season. Only Real Vallecano and Huesca have conceded more, and they currently sit 19th and 20th. So uh, not looking great off the top there for, mm-hmm. for Levante. They have to get that figured out a little bit if they want to, you know, s- stay out of that relegation battle. Uh, but that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the La Liga show. Thanks for hopping on, Ollie. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. No problem. And again, uh, come hang out, listeners, at the Pint Toronto on the morning of October the 28th for the El Clasico. It promises to be a fantastic match, and we'll have a full preview of it on next week's show. Until then, thanks for listening.